Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Movie Crush. Having a laugh already with the great Cole Stratton because our synchronized clapping for the editors was slightly funny. <laughs> it was the opposite of synchronized. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? Good. I uh, I appreciate you kind of saving my bacon. I, I was been so election obsessed. I looked up yesterday and was like, oh, wait a minute. I don't have a movie crush for this Friday. <laughs> and I started going through my mental Rolodex and I said, I bet you Cole could squeeze one of these in. You bet. I mean, I've only seen six movies, so we're running out. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Six in your life? Six in my life. That's it. I'm very selective. Oh. Yeah, you're not known as a movie guy, right? You're not, you're not a big fan. Not at all. I'm into so, prose. Yeah, you said... You sent me a list, and um, I think our first stab was for the John Cusack classic, The Sure Thing, which somehow I haven't seen, but that movie ain't streaming. It's so weird. I don't understand why. There's like a anniversary Blu-ray that came out like one or two, a couple of years ago. Like it's yeah. readily available in the home video market. It's just for some reason not streaming anywhere. Period. It's so strange. I was going to put it on my 100 movie list initially, but it was one of those like 20 titles that wasn't streamable. And I was hoping maybe that had changed since that list came up, but nope. Yeah, I wonder what the deal is when that kind of strange stuff happens. Like a major movie by major actors and directors is just sort of in the dustbin of video stores only. It's weird because it's, you know, I think it's like MGM or somebody that has it. Like it's a, it was a studio picture 
and it's it's loved like people like it a lot and there's nobody that hates it there's not like any controversy around it it's right it's, like bury it <laughs> right it's not like better off dead for cusack who like kind of disowned it like he likes the sure thing so i don't understand why hey, i like better off dead. i love better off dead i <laughs> talk better off dead all day but that's just kind of a weird thing for cusack so uh well we pivoted though and you had uh you had a great list we were kind of picking and choosing but this is a movie called uh still crazy from 1998 that not only did I not see, I had never heard of this movie before somehow. Weird. Yeah. It's, um, it snuck up on me initially because the golden globe nominations came out that year, 1999 uh-huh. and it was nominated for like best picture musical or comedy and best song. Uh-huh. And I was like, what is this movie? Cause it hadn't opened here at all. Cause it's British. And like I had, it wasn't going to come out anytime soon. So it was just weird to see it on the best picture list and being like, how have I never heard of this or seen this? It's not out. What is this? So that's kind of how it brought it to my attention initially was just through a nomination. Yeah. And I read about that. It was uh, directed by Brian Gibson, who uh, passed away very sadly um, about 15 years ago of cancer. And this was his last film. And uh, he had previously directed the Tina Turner movie, What's Love Got to Do With It, I think. Yeah. And so he had a little bit of, of background in, in movie films. And I believe one of the co-writers, or maybe both of them, both of them wrote yeah. the, the great movie, The Commitments. Isn't that right? Yep. So they all had musical stuff going on from back there, too. So um, Across the Universe, also, the guys co-wrote. So I think they've had Oh, a, I enjoyed that movie. Of, yeah, it's fun. So, uh, yeah, like, yeah, I, I believe the pedigree when you look back at it, I guess, to handle a movie like this. Totally. So to catch people up on what this is, um, uh, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Very fun. Just, uh, you know, I think it trivializes it to call it a feel good movie, but it is a bit of a feel good movie. It's got all all the warm fuzzies. Um, it's funny. It's got some, as it turns out, some pretty good music in it, too. Um, and it is about a band from and I guess this was in 98 so I, in fact I, th- I didn't know it was from that far back when I was watching it because I was trying to reckon actors ages in my head right uh, that one part where Bill Nye he was going I'm not 50 yet and I'm like Christ I'm almost 50 like what is going on here <laughs> right but uh, it's from 98 and it is about a band uh, in the late 90s that was very uh, well marginally po- popular in the 70s called Strange Fruit and through a little act of uh, divine providence is offered a chance to kind of hit the nostalgia trail and resurrect a big, uh, a big concert where they had previously, I guess it's sort of like the, um, not Coachella, but what's the one in uh, the big one, the big festival? Outside of Edinburgh. Oh, Edinburgh. Yeah. Oh, the- yeah. And I went, oh, God, I don't know exactly what you're talking about. Um, not fringe, but uh, I can't no. remember. It's like that Glastonbury. Giant, Glastonbury, thank you. <laughs> yeah. uh, so a big festival appearance again, 20 years later, get the band back together. Uh, two members of the band have uh, passed on, and uh, their previous career had ended at that same festival 20 years earlier when a lightning strike took out the sound system. But it seems like they weren't, like they were marginally popular. It, it's a little confusing at first. It seems that they were like fairly popular in the seventies. And then mm-hmm. like a lot of good bands do when they start to really hit their stride, break up. So it just seems like it was one of those things where all the bad blood had boiled over. And then that final gig with the lightning strike on stage was like it. Um, and then they were done. So you can't really tell, but like there's in the movie, there's a lot of like 
what they call like signs that happen. And Those one are is, funny. Yeah. And one is like they end up, uh, their bus tour bus is broken down someplace and these like two hitchhiking girls come up and this is like in uh-huh. Holland or something. And yeah. one of them is wearing a strange fruit shirt and doesn't know what it is. She's just like, it's her dad's favorite band and he passed away. So she's probably just wearing it as an homage to him. But, you know, lo and behold, there they are. So I think there was one of those things where it's lost on the youth, but, you know, your right. dad knows them. You know, it's sort of like when you're a kid growing yeah. up and your dad's uh, spinning Steely Dan and you're like, what right. is this? <laughs> and I mean, I love Steely Dan because Me I was too. raised on it. But if you weren't uh-huh. like, you might be like, what is, what is this? Yeah, maybe an acquired taste later in life, like right. uh, so many people. Um, the other thing, too, that this movie does, which I thought was pretty smart, was instead of just making it very straightforward, it's all the original band members trying to get back together and they're all in different places in life. That sort of happens. But the the story with Strange Fruit is, is that Bill Nye, who is great in this movie. He's amazing. Yeah. Uh, plays uh, the Ray, the lead singer at the time of their demise in the 70s. He had actually replaced the original lead, like very much a beloved lead singer who had passed away. Um, and I think that just added a little sort of additional layer of complexity to his role in the band and sort of the relationships with each other. Yeah. A hundred percent. You look at it as like, this has happened in a lot of bands, a member leaves, another member wants to do that part. The other band says, nah, they're bringing somebody new. So there's just resentment immediately, which is, you know, the whole subplot between Jimmy nails character, less the bassist and, and Bill Nighy because he wanted to take over vocal duties and didn't get to do it. So you know, there's lots of complexity in terms of the relationships early on that you're not initially hip to. You just, you kind of get introduced to everybody in a funny way. You see the menial jobs that they're doing now, like Stephen Ray's character, uh, you know, sells condoms. Um, <laughs> he stocks the vending machines. In he stocks condom machines in, <laughs> yeah. in Spain, I think, right? Yeah. In Ibiza. Or Ibiza. Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, pretty funny what everybody's doing. And then Bino, who's Timothy Spall, who's great. Uh, he's the drummer. And, uh, it's actually free. Like, uh, Billy Connolly narrates the whole thing. He's the roadie. Um, he's just a, a international treasure. He's, that Billy he's a Connolly. wonderful treasure, but he's got some good zingers when he's um, narrating. And one of them for, in terms of what Bino's introduces, if it's true uh-huh. that men are from Mars and women are from <laughs> Venus, then drummers are from Pluto. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah. They very much. That's one of the things I liked about it, the movie was they, everyone seemed to sort of fit their role in the band. And when you're making a movie about a fake band, uh, it's, it's a lot of times really hard to pull off. Um, obviously Spinal Tap probably did it best, um, of any movie ever. And this movie has a little bit of Spinal Tap DNA in it, I think, but it's sort of like a, I mean, it's obviously, it's not a mockumentary and it's a bit of a kinder, gentler, uh, Spinal Tap, I think. Yeah, definitely. But everyone seems like, like Timothy Spall is such the drummer. Uh, Jimmy Nail is less, is is very much embodies the bass player who always wanted to sing lead. Yep. Um, and he's a real singer in real life. Like that's him really singing, isn't it? Yeah. Him and Bill Nye both sang their roles. Oh, I didn't know that was Bill Nye. Yeah. That's, that's what's amazing to me about it is like the music feels real in that totally. movie. Like it feels like they're really picking up their instruments and playing and singing and the actual band that backs them, they're just called strange fruit on the soundtrack and stuff, but it's full of like mm-hmm. amazing session players like Steve naive and people like that who have played with like, all the greats. So the actual, you know, musicianship is pretty phenomenal. It is. I mean, the songs are pretty dang good. Um, and, and, you know, especially being a music guy myself, it's, it's really easy to be tough on music movies and what they get wrong. 
uh, and things not, you know, things look like really phony lip syncing or whatever. But this all looks pretty good. Like, I think they pulled it off. They pulled out the concert stuff well. I think the casting, even though they don't do a ton of flashback, there are some pretty key flashbacks. And the casting of the younger version of themselves work really well. And it, it just all feels very believable, like where these guys find themselves later in life. It all feels real. Yeah, 100%. And those they did a really good job casting the younger versions because you can just look at it and be like, okay, that's Bill Nye. That's Timothy Spall. Uh-huh. Like, you know, they, <laughs> they did a good job with that. Instead of doing what they do nowadays where they just, you know, morph their young faces onto somebody Ugh, with that creepy yeah. technology. So, <laughs> Not a fan. No, me neither. Uh, Stephen Ray is sort of the, the driving force. Um, I guess I would call him the protagonist in some ways because he's the one that hatches the idea after a chance meeting uh, refilling condom machines in Ibiza. He meets the son of the original promoter of that original festival and who's a big fan and says, you know, why don't we do this again? And he's the one sort of tasked to go out and find all of these guys again. Uh, and like you said, they're in different places in life. Timothy Spall, who is, he's one of my all-time favorites too. He's, he's so just, good. I mean, this is like a murderer's row of like the best classic actors from the UK, like of a certain age at the time. Totally. And I just love like it, it said a lot. I think it was perfect. His introduction, which they go to see his mom to figure out where he is. And he's like, no, moved away. Well, where? Uh-huh. Over there. Yeah. And he's just in a trailer <laughs> in their yard. And I was like, yep, that that tracks. Yeah. And he's working at like a garden center, living the quiet life, yep. uh, paranoid that the uh you know, that the tax assessors are coming and that sets up kind of a, a sort of obvious, but fun kind of one of the sillier running jokes in the movie that this lady in black with a briefcase is sort of after him through the whole movie. And it becomes pretty clear early on that she's not the tax lady, right. but I wasn't exactly sure what she wanted. I thought she might've been like, I had your love child or something like that, but it turns out she just wanted sex from she's him. Just and a that's, groupie. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's all he's looking for on the second go round is to have a shag on tour, and he can't do it. He can't find it, no matter what he does. Yeah, there's um, uh, there's a lot of different relationships in this movie too. That's what I, I liked about it a lot because you have totally. Stephen Ray and then Julia Aubrey's character. Um, she's great, Karen, who like is really good because she's got a complex relationship with all that because it's clear that she cares for Stephen Ray and he loves her. But she was in love with Brian in the band, who was the one who tragically passed away and like you right. know, can't quite get over that. And so there's a lot of levels of that going on. Them sort of courting each other, but sort of not because she's chasing ghosts, as he says at one point. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to I think it's tough to juggle so many character arcs and these sort of subplots and many relationships. And this movie manages to pull it off, I think, in, in like 95 minutes somehow. Uh, everyone seems to have a nice uh, character arc and transition. Uh, the only thing, like, I felt like Tony and Karen, I felt like it wasn't quite wrapped up. And there may be like a director's cut that never happened that might have uh, fleshed that out in a more satisfying way. Yeah, I feel like there's a third act twist that we won't give away, I guess. But um, that kind of just derailed the the figuring out what's next with them, I think. Um, well, we have to give it up at some point. Yeah, that's true. But <laughs> I don't think it really spoils anything that much. Um, no, I mean, we should go ahead and say the uh, if you want to see the movie, you don't want this part spoiled. Just stop this episode. But uh, the guitarist that had passed away, Brian, not the lead singer who passed away, but his brother, 
um, he's actually not dead. And I didn't see that coming. I thought it was a pretty good surprise. Yeah, I thought it was nice. And it really kind of shows you what rock and roll does to people. You know, mm-hmm. that like when it's all you can do, it's all you want to do, how it consumes your life. And you can tell that all these characters kind of hate where they are. Like, you know, he's selling condoms. Jimmy nails a roofer now. Um, yeah. And that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, they all basically, they gave their dream a shot. It didn't work out. And now they're all kind of just stuck in these kind of menial job things, just getting older. Um, none of them are really that happy. And Bill Nye's character is the only one that kind of kept doing it. But it's almost that sad cliche of the aging rocker that yes. just won't give it up. And there's an early scene where you first meet him where he's just like doing a speech at some dinner thing or it's a funeral or whatever. And uh, he's just like, hello, Wembley. And it just shows us this tiny crowd yeah. of people. And it's, <laughs> but he's still, you know, all access and over the top. And you, and what I thought was phenomenal about Nye in this movie is this is a precursor to love. Actually, he did this before love actually. Uh, okay. Yeah. And his character is, is almost a more complex version of his character in love actually. So if you love him in love, actually you'll like him even more here because I think there's a lot more nuance and depth to this performance where you really see how insecure he is. He's just really insecure. He's a bundle of nerves. He puts everything out there to excess. He goes over the top all the time because Mm -hmm. he's just trying so hard to get people to love him and notice him. And he's always felt like they didn't quite love him due to the fact that he came in late as a replacement singer. So he always felt like, you know, kind of the black sheep, the odd man out in the band anyways, even though he's the front man. And then there's a lot of, you know, people not liking that either because in interviews they always talk to him. Um, because that's what they do most of the time with bands. They always talk to the front man. So um, there's a lot going on there and he's dealing with aging and trying to, you know, he's never given up the dream, whereas the other ones have, and they're just rekindling it. Um, but he's still leery about trying to go back because there's so much bad blood between them all. Yeah, he was really great. I mean, there are a lot of great performances, but he really stands out. I had never seen him in this kind of role before, Um for me, it was really playing against type. I haven't seen Love Actually, so I don't know if, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, that's I know that's like a classic movie, but it, that is also very divisive. It's a um, very divisive movie, yeah. Like, people love it or hate it, it seems like. One or the other. But would, do you love it or hate it? You know, I'm one of the rare people that are in between. Like, okay. <laughs> I, I, there's a lot in it that I like. There's a lot in it that I don't like. But it's, yeah. it's sort of a hodgepodge of stories anyways. So, like, uh-huh. some of them resonate better than other ones. But yeah, I know a lot of people either absolutely adore it and watch it a million times for the holidays or they just can't stand right. to watch it at all. <laughs> I think I'm never going to watch it, maybe. That's where I'll lie. <laughs> Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. 
You know what I mean. The Hyundai Santa Fe becomes available early 2024, so get on it now before all the good camping sites are full. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bare Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen, and it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window, Feel the warmth and comfort of a spring sunrise with shades like coral cloud and dark crimson. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with a durable finish that resists dirt and grime to last all season. And let your creativity bloom with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Bill Nighy is really good. I'd never seen him in this kind of role. He really embodies, I mean, he looked great. He looked the part. Um, he really embodies this, you know, like like you said, uh, insecure aging rock star. All the scenes where he was um, backstage in front of the mirror trying to pump himself up <laughs> are really good and funny without being... Um, Without being like spinal tappy ludicrous, I think like yeah. it's still sort of believable, even though it's sad and funny about it. Yeah, one hundred percent. Just the fact that he's trying to pump him up and hurts himself like that's just one hundred percent. You're older, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he, you know, they have a series. What they do is they go on tour, uh, a tour of Holland and like Belgium, I think. Yeah, as some kind of warm up shows to get a little buzz going and get their chops back. And uh, you know, nothing is going well. None of the crowds are very receptive. He is portrayed as sort of being the failure, uh, but I never really quite got that. Like, I didn't think he was that bad. No, I didn't think he was either. I think he just was overdoing it. I think he was just trying so hard. Is that what it was? If anything, yeah. I mean, like, that first gig in the boat, they play a a tiny boat, um, which they spell strange fruit the Swedish way or whatever. Um, Right it's very tiny stage and he's kind of flailing all over the place and like they can barely all fit on the stage. And yeah, that's, that's true. I think that was a a moment of like him being like, okay, dude, like realize you're not at Wembley right now. And yeah, that's the thing they kind of figure out as they go is like, they try to, he's so insecure and he's so upset about how he's being portrayed and how he's doing in these gigs that Stephen Ray is kind of the peacekeeper and Karen, who's kind of ends up being the manager in a sense are basically like, no, you just need the stage. You need, you need Wembley. You need like the giant arena. Like you're just not meant for these tiny little clubs. And as they start to go on the tour and get better and the clubs get slightly bigger, he starts to kind of shine. Yeah. And they, you know, well, he shines until the, he tries to uh, take it to 11 (laughs) and just ask uh, Billy Connolly, who ends up playing the bus driver and the roadie, they acquire a bus from uh, an old tour from the psychedelic first, which I thought was pretty (laughs) nice little detail. (laughs) But uh, yeah, he, he wants the maximum volume and that, that one was frustrating because the gig was actually going pretty well, I think until he did that. And then, you know, he's just like, everyone's ears are bleeding at that point. And he like, he's one of those characters that just can't get out of his own way. 
hundred percent. And like, there's the smoke machine that's just out of control. Like that's the most spinal tap sequence in yeah. the entire film. hundred <laughs> percent. The music's like rattling all the drink things. And, um, but then you see like, you see him in the outfit where he's like wearing like a vampire cape and he's got all this makeup on and his blow dryer pops out in the middle of him trying to do his hair. So one side of his hair is poofy yeah. <laughs> and the other side isn't. But then you see a picture, a very quick flashback of him in that same outfit when he's younger, and it doesn't look ridiculous there. It yeah. just looks ridiculous now. And it just shows the difference between somebody when they're young and, you know, trying to put on a rock and roll front and somebody who's older refusing to accept that they're older now, still trying to kind of do the things they did when they're 21. Yeah. And I think that, um, like, Les, the bass player, He's one of these guys, kind of all of them, really. I mean, um, Bino is a little bit of a, you know, just a comic foil for everything and a little bit over the top. But Les and Tony both are, uh, I think, aged into it well and I think are are behaving appropriately for a 20th reunion tour, which is to say still playing good, still looking good, but not, you know, they're not wearing leather pants and like, you know, silk blouses and stuff like that, which is what Ray's going for. Totally. I mean, they're the keyboard and the bass player. They're, you know, they're more, they're the backbone of the band in a lot of sense. So they're just kind of, they've embraced the fact that they're musicians and they're not showmen, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, who else was really funny was uh, Helena Bergstrom as Astrid, as Ray's wife. She's so great. She's really wonderful. I I don't think I'd really ever seen her before. Had you? Uh, I hadn't. No, she kind of came out of nowhere. And it's such a funny, like, it's, you know, the stereotype of an older rocker being with a younger woman. But they fully, they really do love each other. You see that in the scenes as it goes. But at first, you just think she's just kind of shrill, controlling younger woman who's just kind of in charge of his estate and everything. But you realize it's just that she's trying to protect him when it comes yeah. down to it. Um and there's like a funny exchange when he's about to go on the road where he's like, um, she's like, if you need anything, use your credit card. And he's like, I don't know my credit card number. And she's like, yeah. It's on your <laughs> it's credit, on card. credit card. Oh, right. He has another good line early on when they first meet, you know, he lives in this palatial sort of uh, country estate. And um, we learn later that, that he's in Hawk and it's for sale. But he's the one that did the best out of all of them, obviously. But he has that one great line when they first meet. Uh, why don't we talk in the crypt? <laughs> right. <laughs> and also later when they ask, like, they find a rehearsal space. And he's like, this isn't big enough. You need to be someplace bigger. And they're like, well, we could have done it at your place. And he's like, well, yeah, I can't. They're draining the lake. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good excuse. Uh, I think they do a good job with those flashbacks, too. It's um, I could see another version of this movie where... The flashbacks are way more abundant and you get way, way, way more backstory. Uh, but I don't think it really needs it. I think they sort of went back just at the right times and just enough to sort of flesh it out. Totally. You understand who they were just from those flashbacks. And it's not about who they were. It's about who they are now. But you can understand the ghosts that they're chasing. I mean, I think this movie is a lot about chasing ghosts. I think that's a prevalent theme in it of like trying yeah. to recapture who you used to be when you were younger, which is something I think we all do at certain points in our lives. Yeah. And I think that's, it's more prominent for like Bill Nye and people like that, but you know, more so for, for Karen and, you know, trying to, you know, the whole Brian relationship, which, you know, died back in the seventies or whatever. So um, there's a lot of that. Yeah. I think we really wanted to see Karen and Tony get together. Uh, and obviously Brian coming back complicated that, 
But I, I, I did like the way they played that out with her and Brian. I thought it was very sweet. And that was kind of one of the more poignant moments when they uh, meet up at the end and, and sort of had that have that deep talk. And that's Bruce Robinson, who's amazing. It's, he hasn't done that he? much. He directed and started with Nail and I. Um, oh, wrote shit. It. Is that who that is? Yeah, he also did, directed How to Get Ahead in Advertising. Oh, um, my gosh. I did not even recognize him. Yeah, he's still alive and stuff, and but he just doesn't do much anymore. He's like, I think he directed The Rum Diary in 2011 and then, you know, has written, written things here and there. But um, Wow, that is crazy, man. With Nell and I, we did this on the show uh, with Justin McElroy, and uh, it's one of my favorite movies. I totally did not place him. Yeah, he's the director of it. I don't know if he's actually, I, I don't know. It's been so long since I've seen it, but I know he directed it and I believe wrote it. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, and he does. It's a very understated role here, but um, it sort of has to be as, as sort of the guy who, I mean, it's sort of an amalgam of like a Sid Barrett type who has disappeared and is uh, perhaps had some mental health issues. Uh, and so like so many English musicians, it's like, I feel like half of these dudes, um, half of them end up going to do stuff like this and reform their band and half of them just go to the countryside and start gardening, (laughs) which is like the the complete opposite of like the life they lead. I feel like George Harrison and Jimmy Page and like all these guys now are just like wandering around their flower gardens. Well, George Harrison's obviously (laughs) not, but before he died, he was very much into his flowers. I mean, I just watched the, like the other night I watched the rock and roll hall of fame inductee stuff, which is weird Uh this year because obviously they can't do it like they usually do with the big thing at a concert or whatever. So it was all kind of done zoom style, but each one getting like a little 15 minute documentary about them and going through the ups and downs of the bands and stuff. And it's just like, there's so many things in just those things that are just like in this movie or any rock doc that you watch, like, you know, the ones for brothers or that kind of stuff too. You see these bands that are great when they come together and it's about the music, but so much more personally just ruins everything constantly. Yeah. That's why there's so much turmoil. You know, these people make amazing art together, but they also are kind of bad for each other in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, it did feel real and it's, it's a tough thing to pull off. I kind of touched on it earlier when you're doing a movie about these, uh, this band that were, you know, when you're in a band, you're as close to someone as you can be. It's these relationships are so intimate and so tight. And it's hard to make that up and deliver that on camera as believable. And uh, they really did seem like old mates and old friends. And whether it was just sort of uh, ribbing each other and giving each other shit or in the case of um, of Les and Ray, like these deep seated uh, jealousies and arguments that were never even dealt with um, that they eventually rectify. You know, that, that that's one of the great things about this movie is aside from Tony and Karen, I think all the relationships really come full circle. Fully. And, and also in Ray's case, like he's a recovering alcoholic. He goes to meetings and, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure for him when he's on the road. And so he decides in Holland to go to a meeting, but it's in Dutch and uh, right. doesn't realize it's not for alcoholics, but for overeaters. Um, yeah, that's but pretty funny. <laughs> that, actually, that whole night, the, the little the drug dealer kid—that's Mackenzie Crook in his big screen debut. From yeah, I didn't realize that till afterward. Mackenzie Crook from The Office, and um, I guess he was in those Pirates of the Caribbean movies, right? Yeah, yeah, he has a very very small part as a as a young drug dealer in the alley in Amsterdam, and 
I don't think we mentioned that, you know, Bill Nye's character is a recovering alcoholic and addict and he's, he does a good job. They don't really hammer it home too much because I think they didn't want it to get too, too heavy, but um, he does fall off the wagon and take uh, pills, I guess, at one point. Yeah. And the kind of the dark night of his soul night in the middle of the tour, because some terrible things happened that night to him and he's lucky to be alive at the end of it. Um, but I think he turns a page there um, in a lot of ways. And that's also when Astrid yeah. shows up there and stuff and kind of joins the tour with them. And it's also right before right. they have their best gig on the road. Yeah, that was a pretty fun, fun sequence. You can really see like them clicking on all cylinders and, and that song all over the world tonight, all over the world. I think that's the superior song to the one that got nominated. The flame still burns. Um, oh, is that the one? The flame still burns. Yeah, all is over the, the world was way better. I love that song. I think it's a really catchy, good song. The flame still burns. I get it's emotional. It's a climax of the film where it really plays a role. So I, yeah. under- I understand how in terms of the meaning in the film, I could see it being more meaningful. But it's, yeah. a, it's a decent ballad, but All Over the World is like a really catchy, great song. And you can see how that would have been a big hit in the 70s or whatever. And yeah, they, totally. They all click on all cil- cylinders with it. And funny story, the I don't know story, but the um, they lost the uh, Golden Globe for the song to uh, My Prayer from the Quest for Camelot by Celine Dion. Oh, God. That beloved <laughs> song that we all love. I've never heard of that song or that movie. <laughs> well, it's animated. Uh, okay. So yeah, and then they lost the the comedy musical to Shakespeare in Love, but that's to be expected at that uh, time. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I, that song is fine, but like all over the world tonight, I think is really fantastic. It is. It's a good song, and like you said, it comes along in their best gig, that sort of triumphant gig that they finally come together. And I think they pulled that move right at the right time. Like I think the audience could not have suffered through one more. Um, bad performance yeah. or accident that happens at a performance. You're just sort of, you're rooting for these guys at this point. It, it does have that feel of the commitments. Um, and finally, when they do nail it, uh, it's just, it's a good feeling. It's great for the audience. Um, I think the thing that uh, there's the one you talked about, the little signs from God, there was the one with the bus. And I think the one that happens before this was, or maybe it was the first one was when, uh, yeah, it was the first one when they, they hear the music playing. Oh, right. They're meeting at Ray's house, and they're hearing the song, and they're like, what is that? That's Brian's music. And they kind of go walking around, and over the hill, these sheep just come pouring over, and this little kid sheep herder is listening to Strange Fruit on a boombox. It's like, I kind of think he's using it to move the sheep around because they can't stand it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's so many little cute little moments like that in the movie. Yeah, it was funny. They um, they end up, obviously, they don't have Brian at the beginning of the movie. And sort of one of the early um, mysteries is who was going to replace him. And I kept thinking it was going to be another old school guy that, that was just going to come into their life or that Billy Connolly was going to be like, you know, I play the guitar or something like that. Right. And uh, they didn't do either one of those. They ended up auditioning and getting this sort of young gun, which at first I was a little annoyed by that, but he ended up kind of he ended up kind of being a cool character. They, he wasn't just one note. They gave him a little, uh, a miniature sort of love angle with Karen's daughter who was on tour with them. Uh, and he also has that great scene where he, he sticks up for the guys. Yeah. I mean, it, it also think speaks to so many tours I've seen where they bring in young session oh, yeah. players, you know, when they <laughs> don't have the original members. And I was like, Oh yeah, I understand why they're doing that to honor that. Um, cause I remember seeing like Willie Nelson and family at, um, the Hollywood bowl and like, his, Oh, I've seen them a bunch. Yeah. His son like looks like 
Luke Skywalker and like <laughs> the mop air and I'm like, and he's tearing it up on the guitar. And I was like, Oh yeah. It's like, it's just interesting to always see like these young guys, like who are amazing come in and like help out these bands that are down two to three members. So I, yeah, his, his son is awesome by the way. I've been, oh, yeah. uh, he and, uh, and his dad, Willie and his, his son, like the three generations have been doing a lot of stuff on YouTube during quarantine together. Oh, nice. And, uh, I mean, I mean he sounds just like Willie. It's, it's amazing. That's cool. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. The Hyundai Santa Fe becomes available early 2024, so get on it now before all the good camping sites are full. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bear Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen. And it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window, feel the warmth and comfort of a spring sunrise with shades like coral cloud and dark crimson. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with a durable finish that resists dirt and grime to last all season. And let your creativity bloom with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. There's, a, there's another line in this movie, too, that really resonated with me, and it's from Karen, who says that I just want to stand in the dark and see an audience feel like I do. Yeah, which, man. Like, really speaks to the power of music and totally. community and how music really brings people together. Um, you see those giant crowds, like, you know, that's one thing that all those people have in common is love for this band and this music and singing, yeah. singing together and stuff. And, you know, music really does, is the great unifier in a lot of ways. And uh, it's just one thing that like, it always takes, if you hear a song that's one of your favorite songs, you always kind of stop what you're doing and like sing along to it or hum to it or whatever, or it'll just take you back to a time when you were really happy or it reminds you of someone in your family or whatever. Like music mm -hmm. has so much more outside of just, you know, verse, chorus, verse and chord changes. It's yeah. so much. And, uh, it almost, you know, like the, the, the final concert sequence, which you, you know, you know, it's building up to, it's no secret. It just hits all the feels 
in a way that feels earned. It doesn't feel like they're manipulative or whatever, but it also just kind of reminds you like how much you miss being able to go to concerts. Like right yeah. now it's so tough. Like it's one thing seeing people, you know, play a song on a zoom box in their apartment or whatever, which is fine. But just being able to be out there in a field with a bunch of people or in a small club or whatever, and connect in that way, it's like, one of the hardest parts of all this in a sense is just taking away that community angle. Yeah. That, that really hit me too. Cause uh, I'm a big concert goer and uh, I like the very last thing I did before um, when uh, COVID was breaking out was go on a, a three city tour following Bonnie Prince, Billy and Jonathan Richmond uh, up the East coast. And um, you know, looking back, we were lucky cause it was COVID was definitely there. We just didn't know it. And we were in all the dirtiest places in New York and DC and Philly and, um, they canceled the tour right afterward and we were like, what the hell's going on? And I had no idea that was going to be my last show for a while. And, and also like you not being able to perform live, um, sketch fest being canceled. It's just, it's a tough time. So seeing a movie like this, it really hits home, um, the value of, uh, the community around music and what it feels like to be at a concert, um, or in a movie theater, but definitely for this movie in a concert. Uh, I know we both miss going to movies too, though. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, it's heartbreaking in a sense. I mean, I have watched over a hundred movies since I've been in quarantine though. It's just one of those things of like, I have the time. So it's like plowing through. I'm filling so many holes, even like holes that don't need to be filled or being filled. Right. Right. Well, that's right. Yeah, exactly. This is the time to do it. If I'm ever going to catch up on these things. Like I literally watched Uh, she's all that followed by not another team movie back to back. Cause I hadn't seen either. Um, Are they good? uh, Yeah. No, I mean, she's all that is actually, you can understand the appeal of it. It's fairly entertaining. Uh There's a lot of good people in it. And then not another team movie isn't great, but there's moments in it. And like, there's literally word for word dialogue from she's all that, which I just watched. So it was interesting to see it that close. Oh, really? Yeah. As a tribute or by accident? As a tribute, like making fun of it is one of the main, probably the main movie they make fun of in that it's the overall plot of it. But yeah. Uh, another one of my favorite lines from uh, Still Crazy is when uh, the the Swedish wife, when Astrid is arguing, he's having a big fight with Karen, kind of everybody. And as she's leaving, she insults Karen uh, by calling her a slut. She says, you're also a slut. I remember Isle of Wight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just this vague statement. You know, Isle of Wight is where they had all those legendary uh, concerts and festivals. Right. So I kind of like lobbying it out there because Karen is just such a sort of pure character. Uh, it leaves you wondering like, Ooh, what happened to the happened Isle of Wight? Right. It's like, it's, <laughs> it's, you see that those two, just in that sentence, you know, those two have history. Yeah. And that's what they, and made, they didn't have to do anything else. Just that one sentence is like, okay, you get why they, she dislikes her kind of, or whatever, and doesn't trust her and all that stuff. Um, Billy Connolly, yeah. Billy Connolly has another great line early when he's narrating when the band breaks up. He says, I think God gets sick, sick of seventies excess. That's why he invented the sex pistols. Right. <laughs> that is one of the better lines. He's great too. As the, uh, as the roadie slash bus driver, he's, I mean, you could put Billy Connolly in every movie as far as I'm concerned. Oh yeah. He's great. He's really good. And he's the perfect narrator. It's funny cause I watched it. I have the DVD, but it's, you know, pretty old. So mm-hmm. like, you know, the menu is in four three, there's no frills. And so I was worried when I clicked play on the widescreen that it was going to be widescreen within the four three, which a lot of those old DVDs are, but thankfully yeah. it filled the screen. I'm like, oh, thank God. But the audio <laughs> wasn't great. Like it was really kind of distorting and like, you know, love top 
level pitches and stuff. And I was like, can I watch it this way? But it ended up being okay. But I, I was yeah. wondering, I'm hoping it's better on streaming and things like that too. Cause the sound mix no, is, it was good. All right, good. It's good to know that they fixed that up a little bit. Cause it's not great on the DVD. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess those mid to late nineties DVDs don't stand up these days. Right. Um, and you know, I think the, uh, that big last gig, it's like Brian shows up, there's no rehearsal, it's sort of like the end of Rocky and the end of Karate Kid and the end of every movie, the end of uh, Almost Famous, where you have, you know that this you're going to get this great final thing. And it, it really just dances up to the line, I think, of, of tropey without being tropey. 100%. Like, you want, you want all these, like you said, it's earned. You really want all these things to happen. Uh, you want Brian to come out on stage. You want them to have a triumphant gig. Uh, you want all these, uh, you know, you want Les to have his moment and they all get it in a way that's really, really satisfying. Totally. It makes sense the way it plays out versus feeling forced or manipulated. Um, yeah, I really think it's great. And it just kind of ends there. I mean, it's, there's a lot of those movies would often just give them like epilogues of yeah. what they're doing now, but you don't need it. Like, it's just, they're together for this gig. Who knows what happens afterwards? If anything, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I think, I bet you anything, there are some deleted scenes. Uh, I bet there are some more flashbacks that they didn't end up wanting or using. And I could see there being some sort of an epilogue of, you know, them all sitting around in Ray's garden of his, like, smaller, still lovely English English cottage, but not that, like, mansion that he was living in. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I think it just sort of, sort of ends in a very uh, respectful way without tacking on a, something hokey. Yeah, I think that this movie, it, it really rides a good line of being funny. Like, it's often very funny, um, but also emotional um, and just satisfying in so many ways. And it kind of, the way it starts out, you might just be like, I don't know. It takes a little while to really kick into gear. But once it does, yeah. once they kind of are all together and they start down the road, it really just uh-huh. kind of gets to a place where you're like, oh, I'm going to love this movie. So if, if anybody's watching at the beginning and they're unsure, just stick with it. It gets really really good it's not bad at the beginning by any stretch of the imagination but yeah i agree it gets rolling about 20 minutes in uh you what what happens is you get invested in these characters yeah because i think they do such a good job of painting them as real people and people at realistic versions of who these rock stars might have turned out to be right and also it's like the softest r that you'll ever see like is it r it's r it's because there's the f word is said like a dozen times and there's one uh, one boob for one second but uh yeah i think uh, yeah, it's just because <laughs> they toss off the s word f word periodically like you would do but there's not sure. really much to it it's like the gentlest r rated movie so if that's a detriment don't let it be it's, it's totally, anybody could really handle this movie yeah i mean i think i mean I would go so far as to say this is kind of a family movie, um, except for maybe a little bit of language. Yeah. Like I could, I could see someone watching this with their like 10 or 11 year old who knows that an F bomb isn't the biggest deal in the world. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's not that, there's nothing really in there that's so adult that you couldn't see it. I mean, it's, it's pretty tame. My opinion, it's feel good. So yeah, I don't yeah. understand that already. I mean, I get why they have to do it because you can only have one F bomb or something to get your PG 13. Like that makes no sense to me. You've heard it once. So like, how is it, you know, you hear it 12 more times and like, oh no, you gotta be over 17 now. Right. (laughs) Yeah. 
Because I think there's science behind that, Cole. If you hear an <laughs> F-bomb so many times, you automatically just start saying it. And you know what? Kids have heard way worse at that point in the playground. So, uh, yeah, you know. or in my house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to mention, too, the different, uh, I think another kind of wise decision was all the characters sort of have different stakes going into this. uh, And I think that helps the story. Um, Sort of all of them as a baseline all need money a little bit, but they're all different variations of stakes. uh, And it's not just everyone's broke and needs the money and is doing it just for the money. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, there's there's a very brief scene of Les and his family where uh, he's about to go back on the road and she's like, you know, be careful or whatever. And he's just like, if this works out, I'm never going up on that roof again. Yeah. And then she's just kind of like, well, we built this so hard as, you know, and he just kind of leaves. But like, if you see it, it's just like, he, he says he hates it. He hates it. He hates it. He gave up his dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think he also has insecurity of being able to sing. I think he's a good singer, but because of the fact that the band rejected that as an idea, I think he just never pursued anything solo afterwards because he was so yeah. kind of hurt by everything. And so he just kind of accepted his lot in life. He went and raised a family, which obviously they have a lot of love for each other and stuff. But, um, you know, he's stuck in a roofing job that he just really doesn't like. And now he's got a chance to go back on the road. And even though he's, you know, his complicated relationship with Ray and everybody else, but um, he's just hoping – so it's pretty phenomenal for him. Yeah, when I saw Les, uh, when I saw Jimmy Nail as Les as the bass player, uh, and that shaggy hair I, and a little bit of a beard, my first thought was, uh, in his nose, I was like, man, why didn't they make the Who movie when they had a shot? Because he, yeah, I think he looked a lot like, or really could have pulled off Pete Townsend no, pretty fully, well, fully, fully. And he's a good, I mean, like kind of tall too. Yeah, he played Magaldi in the Avina movie, so he's a like a big musical theater guy. So um, he's got a great voice. I think he'd be great in that rock doc. He would look perfect for it. I did not know that was Bill Nighy singing. I'm very impressed. Yeah, he's good. Uh, I mean, obviously he lip syncs it in the movie, but, um, you know, they pull it off. It works. That's what I think is pretty great about it is obviously they're playing to temp tracks or whatever because you just have to, Mm -hmm. um, unless you're doing Les Mis and doing live singing. But Yeah, exactly. In general, it's, you know, temp track. But it doesn't look like it. It really looks like everybody's playing their instruments. It really, you know, they'll go in and out. When they're rehearsing, they, you know, will start and wind down on a track or whatever when mm-hmm. things go wrong. And it, it that seems real. Like, it, I think they just do a really good job of, of portraying a band and, and actually playing versus, like, look at these actors. You know, like, you know, when you see a movie and, like, an actor's playing piano and you never – yeah. See, you see them and the, you can't see their hands. So you see right, them with the thing just kind of making that face like that they're playing uh-huh. really great. And then it cuts to just hands that are not there. Yeah, yeah. And it comes back to them and you're just like, all right. That old trick. I mean, I get it. I can't play piano either. I would have no recourse, but it's pretty obvious to me. Yeah, they do a good job in this. And for me, the one uh, for, for fake bands and TV shows and movies, I'm always looking at the drummer because that's, that's usually the one that looks the worst because – if you're not a drummer and you're fake drumming, it, it can be pretty bad. But I think Timothy Spall did a good enough job and I think they were smart enough to to frame it just the right way and cut to him at just the right time to where it ended up being pretty believable. Yeah, it looks like he's doing the fills that are happening and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Like it's there's not a single person there that I'm just doubt while they're doing it. Um, and I just, yeah, that the less is like the perfect basis in that he's tall. He just stands super upright. Oh, uh, he totally looks like a bass player. Yeah, rides it high. <laughs> that whole thing that he's, you know, he's a serious musician, but 
in a, in a bass is super important to songs, but it's kind of not looked at the same way as like a lead guitarist or a vocalist. No, it's not as cool. No, but it's like <laughs> Paul McCartney's a bass player. Come on. There are cool bass players. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, he's great. Uh, well, dude, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I'm glad you turned me on to it. I couldn't believe I hadn't heard of it. And I would recommend it to anyone that's, you know, if you're sitting around at home and you're um, sad from being locked in your house and not being so social, this is a really good, feel good, fun movie, especially if you like music, uh, especially if you like rock and roll from the 70s. Uh, I fully, fully recommend it. Yeah, it's really, it's a lean 99 minutes. It doesn't take long. It doesn't yeah. wallow in things like, you know, like a lot of the music doc or movie dramatizations of like, you know, like Rocket Man or things like that too, are like, you know, mm-hmm. two hours plus, And they also spend so much time on the rock bottom segments, um, yeah. which always get kind of old to me. I'm like, I get it. It's just okay. Please. <laughs> right, um, right. But they, they just kind of do a tiny bit of that in this, but then they, you yeah. know, they, they show you so you know what's up, but then they don't linger in it and they move forward with the, with the plot. So. Yeah. Very easy breezy. Yeah. Easy, fun watch. A hundred percent. All right, Cole, uh, get one in your hip pocket. We'll have you on again uh, in, you know, the next four or five weeks. Sweet. Love it. And uh, appreciate you jumping in here this week. Of course. Anytime, man. You got any parting words? Where can people follow you and where can people find that great list? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on social stuff at, uh, at Stratton Cole on Instagram and at Cole Stratton on Twitter. Um, and then, uh, my website is just colestratton.com, which has my list. If you just go to the blog section there, I think I've also posted it on my socials at some point. So if you scan down, you can find it. And I think most of those movies are still available too. And, People seem to really be liking the list and enjoying the films they've been seeing and a lot of the Yeah, it's it's cool. The crushers have been active with that and I know you've been interacting with them on the movie crush page and uh it's been it's been very cool to see. Yeah, it's cool. They're a really good group of, of podcast listeners. It's pretty amazing to read all their They're posts the and stuff. They're really fantastic. So good on you, <laughs> Crushers. Great. Good on you. <laughs> all right, man. Thanks a lot. And uh, we will see everyone else next week. All right, thanks, Chuck. Movie Crush is produced and written by Charles Bryant and Noel Brown. Edited and engineered by Seth Nicholas Johnson and scored by Noel Brown here in our home studio at Ponce Market, Atlanta, Georgia for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually 
in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.